welcome to Farmland. This evening is a revival of UK Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit deal on the cards, or is a crash out still likely? We asked the Minister for Agriculture how Irish farmers will be protected. And what role can farm diversification play in generating additional farm incomes? Barry Caslin, specialist in energy and rural development at Chagask, will outline the potential. But first, our reporter, Brefney O'Brien, travelled to Scariff in County Clare to meet businessman Podrick Giblin, who says an acre is a gem to any farmer. We're here today outside Scariff in County Clare at Derrigail Adventure Centre. And to start the day off, it was decided that I would be sent out for a cycle. <laughs> we caught up with the owner of Derrigail Adventure Centre, Padre Giblin, to see why he made the decision to diversify his land. Well, what's very special in our area is the mayfly. You know, and the mayfly is a natural hatch. You know, the fly might come up at the end of April and last until maybe the 25th of May. It depends on the temperature of the month. But they came from all over the country here, you know, just to fish, Cavan, Cork, Tyrone, you name it, they travelled. But I found once the 25th or 26th of May came, when the fly hatch was over, the fishing was over. And June and July were very, very quiet months, you know, for a boat hire or for visiting tourists. So. I, I just wondered, is, was there something different we could do maybe with the site? I was able to buy a bit of land in 2003 and, and you know, I'm, I never came from a farming background and I thought, didn't know anything about animals or stock or, yeah. or, or I know no knowledge of it. So I just thought maybe, you know, there's water here, there's trees, there's maybe I diversify into something new, use the land in a different way. Like Ireland is special and to me there's no bad land. There's a lot of potential here. Maybe maybe you're killing yourself here every day getting up milking cows or feeding cattle or you know, you're doing what your father taught you, but maybe if you think in a different way you, you, you could be on something very special. That's what I decided to do here. If the Americans just come to me fishing, they, they always refer to us as the Emerald Isle, you know. That's why I decided to call this Dergyle, you know. You know, we've always this thing in Ireland one farm, one son. I don't think it could be that. I think the whole family could be on the farm if they're structured right. Use all the structure. You see, farmers should remember now, like the, 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 if, if they use their land right, they can open a shop to the world. If you look at Disneyland or any of them places, they're all man-made and created, costing millions. Like, you know, we, we can create very special things on the ground without going mad ourselves. Use what we have naturally. So that's it from us on this windy day in Scariff County Clare. And as Porrick has pointed out to us, there are many opportunities for Irish farmland diversification. We're joined now by Barry Caslin, specialist in energy and rural development at Chagask. Barry, thanks for coming in to us. Pleasure, Terry. Thank you. Uh, Barry, first off, would you mind just outlining what diversification really means? Because there are various different strands across agritourism, arts and foods, the energy sector. So it, it covers all those areas. Yeah, diversification means different things to different people. And as many farmers are trying to diversify there at the moment, and I suppose it's insulating their core farm business. So many farmers, are their core business would be dairy, and it might be beef, it might be sheep. But many of them could be maybe looking at something diversifying away from that core business and maybe looking at an alternative enterprise on the farm. And I suppose the best diversifications will be ones that add to their cash flow, add to profitability on the farm, 
and reduce the volatility on the farm because there is a lot of volatility with commodity prices that are available to farmers uh, at the moment, whether it's beef or whether it's in dairy. Uh, and the, there's volatility there in the price that they get. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And with Brexit on the horizon, there's even a bigger interest at the moment in farmers looking to diversify away from the poor farming practice. Yeah, because the dairy sector at the moment is driving ahead. Incomes are quite healthy there. The other sectors, maybe not so much tillage, beef, uh, sheep, the livestock sectors. Um, as Padraig Giblin outlines there in Breffney's VT, an acre can be a gem to any farmer. Um, but how do farmers identify where the potential is on their holding uh, in terms of diversification? Yeah, I suppose farmers have to be really careful about diversification because a new skill set is required before you decide to enter into a diversification project. So it, it may be identifying what's in your area, what is the local requirements, what are the needs in the area. A lot of market research is required before you uh, endeavour to take on a new project like that. But it could be a dairy farmer who may decide I'm producing milk and maybe I'll add value and maybe I'll produce ice cream in the farm, maybe I'll produce cheese in the farm. Uh, or an artisan food producer in a local area who decides I'm going to produce a local bread and uh, market that maybe on, online or maybe in local shops. It's a new form of diversification is in renewable energy. Where farmers are able to sell electricity to the grid, sell heat locally, uh, fuel produce biomethane, use it as a fuel source in places like Sweden that's keeping the buses going in those cities like Stockholm and Jan Shopping. So there's loads of examples of this happening right across Europe. I think there's great potential the way of, and for farms to, to develop. Farming hasn't changed a lot in the last 30 years. We probably have less cattle in the country than we have at the moment compared to 30 years ago. So we have to really look at it. What's best for Ireland Inc? How, how can we best use the available assets to, I suppose, improve the, I suppose, the income stream on farms and in rural areas? Rural areas are crying out for development options. Um, uh, and the traditional sources of income are not really delivering, the, the, uh, even though they've been heavily subsidised for the last number of years, they're not delivering the, uh, the amount of income that keeps people sustainable within rural areas. So this is really about feeding into the sustainable agriculture story in Ireland and the rural development story in Ireland. You mentioned about uh, supports. What supports are out there in terms of funding? And because uh, obviously this would be a huge investment as well for some farms to, to move into this area. There's a lot, a lot of training courses that are being run by the likes of the educational training boards, local enterprise offices, and that would, that'll be training and start your own business. I think that kind of skill set will be very, very important. I think anybody that is considering a new business like that, they have to look at everything from uh, the planning your, your business. You know, you're going to start off, is there going to be a, a change of use of buildings, for example, if you're going to use your buildings for a different use? Uh, taxation, you have to look at that whole area. Will agri-relief be available if you move to a new enterprise? So all of a sudden you're in a tourism enterprise, not an agricultural enterprise. And will agricultural relief be available if you transfer that asset to a son or daughter afterwards? You have to consider other things like staff. Will you require extra staff? And this can be a daunting uh, uh, thing for a farmer to take on. I'm going to have to hire in people, contractual requirements, uh, um, change of a contract maybe with an employee. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of legal issues there. So I say it's very important to get on the taxation side to get a good accountant involved in the project. It's very important to get uh, a good um, uh, solicitor involved as well to look at the whole legal agreements that are in place in terms of taking on staff, even the legal entity of the business. Will it be a limited company? Will it be a partnership? Will they, will they act as a sole trader? Um, you know, and very often these, these projects clear are partnerships. It requires families coming together because 
you really have to want to do this. You have to get up every day and say, I want to do this every day because this is a new enterprise that you're taking on. It's a new, uh, it's something going to be very different. And you mightn't have all the skill sets to bring this project to fruition yourself. So you may need other family members to come on board. So I think it's, there's, I think it's very, very important that you look at, you know, that you can run this new business in tandem with the core enterprise. It's important that you don't drain the core enterprise of all its resources because there's a lot of time and money will be required in terms of developing this new business. So you don't want to drain the core enterprise of that as well. You, look, you have to look at other uh, other things such as um, uh, um, you know the budgets uh, if and budget and skills will be required here, here as well. That if you're developing a new business like that, you have enough money to bring it to fruition as well. Some people overestimate the project at the very, very start, think they can grow it a lot bigger, a lot quicker, and then they realize they have to shrink their, their, their plans very, very quickly, but then build it up over time afterwards. Um, so Barry, so there's lots of pitfalls basically that uh, farmers need to, to be aware of before, before heading in that direction. Where can farmers get information on that? Um, Chagas have information available out there. Yeah, I suppose apart from the training that's available, we have the leader companies that are uh, there as well. They provide a lot of support in terms of financial support to develop projects um, and the training that's available to the ETBs and the LEOs. We have the likes of uh, options courses that are available in all the Chagas offices. They take place clear in the back end of the year, September, October, November. So I would say if any farmers have an interest in doing an options course, and an options course runs over five or six nights, it would be focused on start your own business. It would focus on areas such as um, uh, renewable energy, forestry on the farm. It would focus on areas such as uh, artisan food production. Um, so there's different topics, different nights. You run over three nights. Information on that can be available through the local Chagas offices. If you want, if you contact your local Chagas office and ask to put your name down for the next options course, you'll be facilitated. Uh, Barry, we're just out of time. Just finally. There is a report coming out from the from the government over this week on um, on climate action and how farm. The one recommendation in this climate action report is that uh, farms need to diversify in order to help tackle emissions and get get carbon emissions down. So the diversification diversification story can play a role or can it play a role in reducing carbon emissions? Well, I suppose on one side, you can look at it if cattle are taken off the, off the farm, they will, there'll be less emissions coming from bovine animals. But you can look at it on the other side as well, there are renewable technologies of diversification, such as anaerobic digestion, where you can take the slurry that's been produced by those animals, mm -hmm. put it through a digester, degas the slurry, take out the methane, use that methane to produce biogas, to produce electricity or heat, maybe upgrade that biogas to biomethane. Sorry, sorry, Barry, we're out of time, I'm afraid, but thank you very much for joining us. And next, Brexit. Earlier, I sat down with the Minister for Agriculture to address farmer demands for clarity on emergency aid. But first, Sylvester Phelan has this report on the latest Brexit developments. With March 29th, the day long earmarked as Brexit Departure Day, almost upon us, news broke last week that a short extension has been granted to the UK to avoid a no-deal crash-out. The European Council agreed to an extension until May 22nd should the withdrawal agreement be approved by the House of Commons, or until April 12th if it is not given the green light. UK Prime Minister Theresa May this week conceded that there is still not sufficient support for her to attempt to push through her deal in the House of Commons at present, as the UK Parliament currently remains in deadlock on the matter. Irish farmers have been watching and waiting apprehensively to see if a deal can be struck to prevent a crash-out, 
and minimise damage caused by the UK's departure. Earlier in March, the UK government published details of its temporary tariff regime with agricultural imports part of the 13% of imports to be slapped with steep rates. Tariffs of 45% will apply to beef imports from Ireland, while butter and cheddar will face taxes of 15% and 7% respectively in the event of a no deal. However, goods imported into Northern Ireland will not be subject to such rates. This week, a report by the ESRI revealed that the Irish economy is going to take a hit of between 2.6% and 5% in GDP, regardless of whether the UK leaves the EU in an orderly or disorderly manner. GDP in Ireland 10 years after Brexit will be around 2.6% lower in a deal scenario, 4.8% lower in a no-deal scenario, and 5% lower in a disorderly no-deal scenario respectively, compared to a situation where the UK stays in the EU. This would be a hit to the Irish economy of between 8 billion and 15 billion euros in monetary terms. Both the Irish government and the European Commission have given assurances that a support package of measures will be implemented to protect farmers from the worst of a no-deal fallout. Yesterday saw a surge of activity on the issue. Prime Minister May offered to resign if her deal was given the green light through Parliament. Some hardline Brexiteers seemed convinced, but the DUP has refused to change its stance to date. Meanwhile, the House of Commons took control of Brexit proceedings and voted on eight separate options to determine the UK's next move. All options were defeated, meaning the stalemate continues. We're joined now by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed. Minister, thanks for joining us this evening. You're welcome, Claire. Given the short time that's left, Minister, and the chaos that still exists in Westminster, is there going to be a crash-out Brexit? In all honesty, I can't, I can't say that f uh, for definite what the outcome will be. I mean, uh, we have invested an enormous amount of time and resources working through a situation where we negotiated a withdrawal agreement uh, with the UK government. That's our preferred option. The UK government hasn't managed to convince its own parliament to approve that. But that withdrawal agreement, if, if approved, enables us to get to a situation where we're in a transition period. Within that transition period, we're negotiating a comprehensive free trade agreement with the United Kingdom. That's what we want. We have no interest in trapping the UK in a permanent backstop arrangement, which has been spun in Westminster by some. We want a comprehensive free trade agreement, bearing in mind it won't be as good as what we currently have, which is you know a single market and a single customs union and free movement of goods and services. But the most comprehensive free trade agreement possible is, is what our ambition is. It's obviously still a distinct possibility now that the UK could crash out. And in terms of the impact of that on, on uh, the agri-food sector is very, very significant. I've always said there's no upside, but certainly in the context of a crash out Brexit, where our access to the UK market is significantly threatened. That has really very difficult uh, implications for Irish agriculture, the Irish fishing industry, in all its manifestations, both for farmers, uh, for those working in the agri-food sector, for our export earnings, and for the well-being of the rural economy in particular. Uh, Minister, I suppose what the government wants is one thing, then you, with the no deal Brexit, uh, with, the, with the deal that's on the table, but no deal is looking increasingly likely and farmers need to know they need certainty for their futures on what package is available in the case of a no deal what are the details on that package i understand that claire uh, 
Um, and the government understands that. And the Commission understands also, because we've been working very closely with them, what farmers want. And farmers want certainty. Regrettably, I can't bring certainty to a situation until we know what happens with the UK government. Either they crash out or approve the withdrawal agreement. What we, would, what we have been doing over the last, since the 23rd of June 2016, is creating the awareness of what the Irish agriculture's exposure is to the UK market, working with other member states, working with the Commission, and indeed I as Minister for Agriculture working across government here as well. And there is a clear understanding now, as evidenced by the Commission's own documents published for Brexit contingency, that we are the most exposed sector. But what we don't know yet, Claire, and I, I, I can understand the frustration at farmer level, at farm organisation level, and indeed at the agri-processing sector, what we don't know yet is what will be the impact of a no-deal Brexit. We've seen recently the UK publish a tariff schedule. What we don't know is when that tariff schedule is implemented, what will be the impact here on the price that processors will pay to beef producers, to dairy producers, to pig processors? Uh, what will be the implications at a farm gate level? Now, we have modelled a whole lot of scenarios. We obviously have a good idea of where the impacts will be in the beef sector, the immediate hit will be for finishers, what will be the consequences for people who are going out and buying weanlings at the moment, all of that kind of stuff. We have an idea of that, but we don't exactly know, you know what the, the landing spot will be in terms of what the price will be paid. But I am satisfied, absolutely, that the Commission knows that there is a big price tag following a crash-out Brexit, and so does the government. And the response will be a collaboration between both to make sure that the supports are provided to the industry. But, Minister, do you know what is in the potential no-deal package for agriculture? Do you, can you, I, I, I know, can I you know, say with confidence that it is, it is a good package that's there, and how soon could it be delivered there is in no, a no-deal scenario? There is no such thing, Claire, as a good package uh, in the context of Brexit. Brexit is a damage limitation exercise. Whatever the future holds for us is not as good as what we have. And no matter what contingencies the government has, the contingencies of themselves will not make up for the downsides of Brexit. We are in a damage limitation exercise in that context. And I am satisfied that in terms of the beef sector, which is particularly exposed, almost 300,000 tonnes of our beef, half of it going into the UK market, I'm, I'm very satisfied that in terms of the analysis that we would know the, the, the way to deliver supports quickly and directly to the sector. But we don't know at this stage what the immediate impact will be. Will the price fall by five cents a kilo? Will it fall by 50 cents a kilo? In terms of the tariffs that will be put on, how much of that and it will be absorbed by the UK retailer, by the UK consumer? How much of it will be pushed back down the line to Irish processors? and to Irish primary producers. They're the issues that we don't have certainty as to how this, the consequences of a Brexit crash-out will land. Mm -hmm. And that applies across all the sectors, whether it is poultry or pig or dairy. Um, but but we, is there a figure? Is there, is there a figure on the package? Have but, you seen well, the you figure? See, but, but you see, Claire, the point I'm making is it's, it's impossible to quantify the package in that sense that's required until you know. But I am very satisfied that the Commission knows what our ask is. Our ask is to protect the Irish agri-food industry, to protect the beef industry, to enable us 
in the context of that response, particularly if we talk about beef, for example, to enable us to keep our product on the supermarket shelf in the UK, which we have won that space over many decades, and to support the primary producer for whatever drop in prices are there as a consequence of that uh, 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 crash out Brexit. So the Commission has, has said it stands ready to support us in that context because no matter what happens in the immediate aftermath of a crash out, we will get to a situation where we are talking about a comprehensive free trade agreement. I would prefer we do it in an orderly fashion, withdrawal, transition, future trading relationship. But there is a distinct possibility of crash out and I am satisfied that we, we, we will have all of the financial resources that are necessary and we will use that in the most appropriate way to deliver quickly to farmers. How soon, when you say quickly, how soon, as soon would as, the state aid as be soon delivered? As, as soon as we know what the implications are for all the individual sectors, how the tariffs are impacting on primary producers, what element of the, of the, the new world will be absorbed by UK retailers, by UK consumers, and obviously we hope to push as much of it to that end of the supply chain, uh, but there's undoubtedly the case that there will be significant consequences for our primary producers as well, for our beef farmers in particular, because we have so much of our market in the UK. So we, you know, that would mean where do we intervene in terms of supporting those? The immediate people who take the hit will be finishers. So that's an obvious, uh, I would say, no-brainer. And how to support those who are going out buying weanings for future uh, supply into the UK market because that's the imperative. The imperative is that we keep our product in front of the UK consumer. We don't lose that market to cheaper imports coming in from, the, from third countries. That we keep our product in front of the UK consumer who has become accustomed to that quality product. And that we do that until such time as we negotiate a comprehensive free trade agreement. Minister, the government has been adamant that there will be no hard border. Mm -hmm. In, in Ireland, yet the EU Commission came out yesterday, officials came out yesterday and, and indicated that tech, in the case of a no-deal scenario, technology could be used um, as a potential invisible border. Um, where would the checks be in that scenario? Claire, there's, a, there's an ongoing debate in the UK and it is it is predicated on the agreement and a central part of that, which is the backstop, which is all about avoiding a hard border. And I'm conscious that every utterance that we say is not in a vacuum. This debate is, is being considered uh, in the UK in the context of the withdrawal agreement or variations of that that they would like to see. We have a situation that avoids a hard border, that for Northern Ireland provides in many ways the best of both possible worlds, that gives them access to the EU market, and makes no differentiation between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. That's the withdrawal agreement. I am also acutely conscious that if they were to crash out, we will have issues to be determined then around our commitment to preserving the integrity of the single market. And that's really important for us because to lose one market in the UK would be unfortunate. To lose a second market would be downright disastrous. So, Maintaining the integrity of that market and our continued access to mainland Europe, for, which is, you know, after the UK, is the second biggest uh, market for uh, our agri-food offering, will be really important. Because if there is a perception that we have become a, a backdoor access to the EU market for 
UK product or indeed other product coming into the UK that might seek to, to access the uh, European Union via the Republic of Ireland, then very quickly our product gets snarled up in French ports, French farmers, French fishermen saying, you know, this is this really Irish product? Is it a backdoor? So we will are acutely aware of our responsibilities in protecting the integrity of the single market. And very quickly, if there was a crash out, here is what I envisage. We have obligations under the Good Friday Agreement. So has the United Kingdom government. We have obligations under the single market. The Commission knows that and the UK, United Kingdom knows that. But they're all predicated on an ambition to avoiding a hard border. There are no easy ways to fix this, but there would be negotiations which wouldn't be tripartite in nature between the UK government ourselves as co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement and indeed the European Union with the overriding ambition of being supportive of the Good Friday Agreement but trying to avoid a hard border. All of those three of us would have to sit down and make sure that we came up with a solution that was acceptable to the workings of the single market and also the Good Friday Agreement. Not an easy space to be in if you're looking for an alternative solution to what's on the table now which resolves that issue in terms of the withdrawal agreement and the backstop provision. Um, Minister, we're three years into the, to the Brexit preparation process and we have seen the meat industry talk a lot about finding alternative markets to the UK, but at this stage we haven't really secured any alternative markets apart from, from the UK. Are you disappointed with um, the level of effort or progression there on the meat in on the behalf of the meat industry to to um, find and secure alternative markets for Irish beef. Well, the the point that's worth making is what is the function of the department and and the minister in terms of new markets and what is what is business about then in terms of availing or accessing those markets. It is the case that the best paying market for beef globally is the United Kingdom market. And it would be foolish of me to kind of tell the processing sector that they should abandon that market and go and chase other market opportunities which might exist. Because there are consequences, if that's the best paying market, even in, with all the uncertainty around Brexit, there would be consequences in terms of the price they could afford to pay if other markets are less rewarding in terms of the profits that they can generate. Because the profits they generate are reflected back on, on the price they can pay. So we open markets and last year we had the Chinese market opened. Um, you know, I think that's a market that will grow significantly in volume. We are constantly looking for new markets in terms of, you know, following on the coattails of trade agreements that the European Union does, EU-Mexico, EU-Canada, EU-Japan, uh, and trade missions that have followed all of those initiatives. But industry will look at the suite of options that are available to them. Ones that we as, as, as a department, working with Market Access Unit here in the Department of Agriculture, working uh, with Borbia, but informed by what the industry itself sees as, as kind of market opportunities that they would like us to pursue. And we do that. And we negotiate with the competent authorities in those member states, in the European Union or outside, the best possible access for our products. So, you know, the issues that arise is, will they take beef over 30 months? You know, what are the, the, the regulations that they will insist upon? And we negotiate the best possible uh, terms and conditions for access to that. And once it's open, then it's the business of the industry to decide where they sell the beef and try and maximise the profits. That's what business does. 
And Minister, what kind of talks are you having with the meat industry at the moment in terms of price? Because you know how volatile the situation is at the moment. You know the morale of a lot of beef farmers out there is on the floor. Are you talking to the, the meat industry about maintaining price, increasing price in light of what they're facing? Well, at every available opportunity, uh, Claire, I engage with the industry and I remind them that this relationship is two-dimensional. You cannot have a beef industry, a global player as the Irish industry is. We are the biggest exporter of beef, the net, biggest net exporter of beef in the Northern Hemisphere. You cannot have that if you do not have a healthy primary production sector, if you do not have farmers that are uh, successful in making profits. And I do accept that at the moment it's a very, very challenged area. And I've repeatedly said to the industry, even in the context of very difficult market conditions that are there at the moment, that they must be conscious all the time that there is a real danger that you'll reach a tipping point in terms of the industry and people will, will say... How close are we to that tipping point? Well, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, there's no point in saying otherwise. The last six months have been extremely challenging. Uh, if we could get the uncertainty around Brexit out of the way, I'm sure we could, we could look at you know, a, a, a new horizon for the industry, but this, is, this has become all-consuming now. And I do appreciate the challenge for the industry as well. Um, it is, in a way, the perfect storm, because apart from Brexit, we've had the overhang on the beef market from the difficult year weather-wise that was there last year. You had a drought from, from the Azores to the Ar Antarctic, almost, and as a, or to the Arctic. And as a consequence of that, you had an increased kill all across Europe, and a lot of that is still overhanging the market. And we've seen, for example, if you, if you take in the dairy side, you've seen what a, a drag, an overhang of product can be on the dairy market with the skim milk powder issue. Fortunately, we've cleared all of that now uh, in the dairy side. And there is an overhang of product on the beef market, which is a problem. But I would like to see if there was more certainty around Brexit, and hopefully we can get that uh, in the coming weeks that we could see, you know, perhaps greater opportunity for the beef sector. Obviously, Minister, we, we no, continue to work on, on market access issues and live exports and all we're, of that. We're just, we're under time pressure at the, at the moment, but Minister, just finally, there's been a lot of concern out there about the grid system and about the, the QPS. Does the grid system need to be reviewed in your view or is it working? Well, the grid, the EU, EU ROP uh, grid system is a system that's common to uh, member states, okay? Within the grid system, which determines payment, I think there's almost 225 different landing spots for, for carcasses. There's a base price, and depending where you land in on the grid, there's a, a plus or a minus of six cents per kilo, depending on, on, on your landing spot. That paying arrangement on the basis of the grid classification is an issue entirely be negotiated between the farm organisations and the processors. And we have said, in the context of that, if it is the view of the industry and farmers that that needs to be revisited, and I'm conscious that it was negotiated some years ago now, that's something that we will facilitate. It's not our grid in terms of the payment system around it. It's not our grid. Um, but if, there, if, if the industry wants we're quite uh, willing to work with the industry. Last time around, we provided an expert from Tagusk in that space, and if that was wanted again, we would do it. But it's not our paying system. The overall grid system, um, E's and P's and U's and grade cattle, that is, and we, we have uh, a responsibility for uh, monitoring the machines and their, their grading uh, 
efficiency. And we do that in compliance with EU regulations all the time. We'll leave it there. Minister, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Claire. That's all we have time for. If you have a story, reach out to us on any of our platforms. Thanks for watching. See you next week.